Welcome to another episode in the Who Tells Your Story series of the Daddy Unscripted podcast on Osiris Media. My name is Tim Wheaton, and I am your host. All right, everybody, welcome back in for part two of my conversation with Rebecca Gudlifstoschdisch. I'm really excited and trying to just speedily talk after saying her last name because she does a much better job of it. Let's just, let's let her say it. Here is her full name in Icelandic. My full name in Icelandic is pronounced Rebecca Kvudlifstoftir. There we go. Isn't that better? It's just better when she says it. So, uh, which reminds me, I do also have her welcoming people from Iceland to this episode. Let's listen to that. Þú ert að hlusta á Hver segir sögu þína? Þetta er hluti af Daddy Unscripted podcastinu á Osaris Media og ég býð velkomna alla hlustendur frá Íslandi sem kunna hafa rambað hingað inn. <laughs> I heard Daddy Unscripted and podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I, I translated the Who Tells Your Story part as well. So we are back together again for part two of who knows how many parts, but currently only these two parts of my conversation with Rebecca, where we talk about so many things that I did not even realize that we were going to get into. She kind of told me when we first started talking before I hit the record button that I might be in for a ride. And I don't know what adjective to use there. I will just say what a ride. What a year. When I was talking earlier with her, I had said, I've lived a lot of lives. And she said the very same thing back to me. I completely get it. But I think that we both still haven't scratched the surface on how much that means actually coming from both of us. And I think this conversation really hit me in a couple of different, in many different ways, but two of the big takeaways was a reminder of how much, as human beings, we can go through. How much it can seem like the whole when it rains, it pours things. I know I've been at different times in my life when I've felt that completely, including it goes without mentioning maybe, but the time that it completely overwhelmed me and I ended up trying to take my own life because of it. In my saying that, that is a perfect companion to the idea that a lot of times we don't know our own resiliency. We don't know, like I talked about with Rebecca, we may not know what our ceiling is, what our threshold is until we've been there, until we've gone through it. And I do not say this lightly where I say she has gone through it. 2020 and 2019 have been significant marks on the timeline of her life that I think are those kind of marks that stand out and never go away. And another thing that I take from this is the good that can come from the bad. And when I said it to her at some point in this conversation, I do think about it in kind of a poetic and artistic term, which I guess makes sense and seems logical for who I'm thinking about in that sense. But I do feel like she is a phoenix rising out of the ashes, ready to frickin' rumble, <laughs> ready to go, 
ready to erupt out of this ash and torment and destruction and rubble and soar. I really do. I feel like she is on the brink of something that she doesn't realize quite yet. And even if it does, however many times it touches and however many different ways it touches on the Rebecca that she has been and that some of us have gotten to see before, I don't think that that is the half of it. And I don't think that that is to be expected. I think there's going to be some amazing things to come out of this. And I'm excited. I'm excited for her as somebody who I feel invested and connected to her. And I'm excited for somebody who has always enjoyed and admired her work and her art as well. So I'm excited on multiple different facets here. But you're here to hear her talk, not just me. Okay, so let's get to that. Before we do that, I've got some business to go over. Let me remind you that Who Tells Your Story as a part of Daddy Unscripted is very proud to be part of Osiris Media. Osiris Media has so many new things coming out, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about some other stuff that is going on with Osiris Media Podcasts. One in particular that I want to make you guys aware of is called Across the Margin. It's a great podcast that deals with books and magazines and writers. And in their 103rd episode that just came out that is perfectly timed with Black History Month right now is an interview with Aaron Cohen. Aaron Cohen is the author of Move On Up, Chicago Soul Music, and Black Cultural Power. A really cool episode with Aaron talking about the power of Chicago soul music and all of its roots. Great episode. I'm so glad that that conversation happened and that we're all able to listen into it. So check out Across the Margin. Find them on Instagram, on Twitter, but you can find them and everybody else by going to osirispod.com and find all the other cool stuff that is going on. Really quickly, I'll just mention that Undermine, the new, basically the Voltron of, I think Voltron is probably a good one, which is like a bunch of, it's not a Transformer, it is Voltron of Fish Podcasts. Uh, They have been releasing their episodes weekly. I believe their fifth one is about to come out. And their first four episodes have been tremendous going back into fish history. And I believe it was in the top five of Apple podcasts the first week that it started. And it's not moving anywhere from there. So to find out more about that and all of the other podcasts that are new and are old and are all amazing, go to OsirisPod.com. Just a reminder, Osiris is teamed with Jambase. You can go to jambase.com to find out how in the world are we going to see some live music in 2021. And some of that is definitely still going to be through our computers or our phones, but there's going to be some cool stuff happening. I can already feel it. Okay, and I don't want to gobble up a bunch more time before I get into this episode, this second half with Rebecca Make sure, really, like I said this a couple times in my uh, website post at daddyonscripted.com, but really, if you didn't listen to the first half, go back and listen to it. 
I do believe that this is kind of like the first one is Godfather 1, the second one is Godfather 2. Like you could just listen to this episode and get a ton out of it, but it's just so much better if you have heard both parts. So make sure you check out episode one, then dig into this one. There's so much here. Again, the honesty, the candor, the depth to which we go in our conversation and the stories that Rebecca is sharing about not only her life, but the lives of her sons and the tragedies that they have been through over the past. uh, We went back to some pretty heavy stuff going back to like 2015, but just the stuff that she's been through in the last 18 months. And as I think about all the things that she's talked about and that she's been through again, like I sent her a message while I was editing these episodes one day. And I just said, I just really need to tell you that I am so glad you're alive. And I told her I was not trying to over dramatize that that I was not trying to make it seem cliche or um, bigger than it should be, that those were 100% pure words because, (laughs) A, I'm so glad she's alive, just like I said it, but I'm glad that she has lived through what she has lived through and that she is able to share these things with so many of us that are able to learn a lot about perseverance, learn a lot about how we all have different thresholds for things that occur in our lives and just continuing to, I'm thinking of like somebody who is really just continuing to churn their legs or swing their arms while they feel like they are drowning and continuing to do that just for the sheer will to live, not knowing what may be on the other side. And fortunately for Rebecca and for us, we have not seen yet fully what is on this other side for her. She says at one point in this conversation how she feels like there was a point that was the first day of her new life. And I'm so glad we're all here for it. I'm glad you guys are here to hear it. So without anything else, let's dig into the second half of this episode. And we we hit the ground running here, you guys. I basically spliced this almost exactly where she left off. I went back maybe a sentence or two, but this is basically right where episode one left off. So it really kicks in from the get-go. So here is the second half with Rebecca. Part of me was terrified, obviously, because my, my whole existence was about to change. And I had no idea what would happen. And it was it was very scary. And <laughs> uh, I don't know. I actually spent one night in the hospital on suicide watch. Mm. One night. That you self-admitted yourself or? Uh, no, I went to a friend, uh, a counselor who had been working with me through some other stuff. Mm. And she, I told her, like, I, I don't really trust myself with, uh, there are all sorts of, like, meds at home that I feel like I might just take basically. Mm-hmm. And and she was like, okay, I'm taking you to the hospital. And she like, she just like put her foot down and just like demanded that I was allowed to spend a night there and be like under surveillance just in case. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful to her for that. Even though it was like, it was such a low point for me. I feel like I felt, I felt so pathetic and just 
but I'm in the, still, it's completely normal. It's completely normal to feel like that when such a big change is happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I was like the next day after I got home from the hospital, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm just going to figure out exactly how much has been going on. And I got into his computer. He was not at home. I read like three months back and just listened. I just read this conversation where people were talking about me being in their way, in the way of their happiness and how, like I was like a being some sort of willing participant in this, you know? So I felt like I had been like, uh, like I'd been like locked in the backseat of a, of a car that was speeding somewhere that I didn't want to go. And I was like, why didn't you guys just let me out like five months ago? Mm-hmm. I have no interest in being the third wheel. This is ridiculous. So that was the point where I just became like, uh, like just gloriously angry. I just like, I was like, Oh, finally, <laughs> you know, because I had been so angry on the inside for so long. Um, so I did this whole, um, <laughs> I did not trash his studio. Um, he had like a sound studio, really, really expensive equipment. That was his man cave. But I took like um, all of the sweaters that I had made for him over the years and I cut them all up into a pile on the floor and I broke all these picture frames with photos and drawings that I had made for him and left that on the floor. And I found like a half drunk bottle of Pepsi on his table and I poured that all over it. And I tore up, tore up the book that we made together and I left that in a pile. And, and then I basically, you know, told my, my, uh, my younger son uh, and his girlfriend who was living with us and they were kind of watching and applauding. They were like, so glad to see me finally just get out of my, like um, this whole uh, just like I had been like in a daze, you know, and I was finally waking up and they were like, so glad to see me just finally just. I'm sure. Reclaim my, my self worth somehow uh, and my self respect. And I packed something into my car that I, anything I could think of and just like randomly just like, because I couldn't not, I could not spend another day in that house. That was not a possibility for me. And I called my parents and they were like, yeah, okay, we'll come, we'll drive towards you and meet you because maybe you don't feel like driving the entire six hours. So we start driving out of town and already I'm feeling almost euphoric. I'm feeling like, Oh, this is, this is scary, but this is good. This is what I've been waiting for. I finally get like a new start. I get to be myself again. I have no idea what's around the corner. And instead of being, it was more exciting than scary somehow Mm -hmm. uh, because I felt like that was what was supposed to happen. And, but of course it wasn't that simple. I mean, that day was, it was insane. Uh, The car broke down Oh gosh! uh, when we're half, (laughs) we're halfway we're driving through this mountain pass, you know, and it's like there's snow and it's really cold and the wind is blowing. And um, uh, the engine temperature kept going up really high. And I kept stopping the car to pour like water in the engine because that was the only thing I could think to do. Uh, and I just like prayed that the car would just make it the trip because it had so far somehow not broken down. And then it just kind of the engines just stops while I'm driving and I just pull over to the side of the road and I'm like, OK, this is this is great. <laughs> and my parents are like half an hour away and they come and they tow us all the way to town. And that was one of the most terrifying things I've ever gone through um, because up and down these mountain passes, like really steep hills. And like, this is a standard shift car that I'm driving. And I, I was like, after a while, the brakes just kind of stopped working. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that that's what happens. But when you're, when you're towed for that that took six hours. You know, it was supposed to take three normally, but it was like six hours. The tow rope snapped twice. Oh my god! At some at some point, and I, was, I remember I was like yanking on the handbrake with all my strength and the pressing down on the foot brake, 
and just but still the car was going way too fast down this hill and the the car my my parents car was so close that i could see my dog in the back window looking at us <laughs> please don't shut up like what is even what is happening what kind of day is this it's ridiculous um it was like way too much too many events in a in a much too short a time and it was like my we ended up like we were just like laughing hysterically at some point because it was just too absurd mhm it's like too much and when we finally get to town and we get to my parents place uh, i remember like this despair crashing over me because I realized, okay, I'm really, I left my home. Mm-hmm. My car is dead. It was, it was permanently ruined by the way. It was not, I, I could not get it fixed. And I had lost my income and I had lost my home and I'd lost my car. And um, what I had were my kids and my parents and obviously friends. And I think I wrote a little bit about this on Facebook during it. I wrote about what was going on with, with this whole day. And a lot of people reached out to me and were like, I just want you to know that, you're an amazing person. I just want you to know that you're not allowed to give up. And I'm, I'm just like, we're rooting for you. I got so much positive, warm feedback from all these people hmm. who had been like following me for, for many, many years. And just like people also just like uh, acquaintances here in Iceland who actually felt compelled to reach out and let me know that, you know, so that was, that was really great. So in many ways, I feel like that was, that was like day one of my new life you know? Mm-hmm. And I was really intent on just moving up from there. And I wish I could say that that had been the case, but the 18 months since that happened have been the most insane that I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. Uh, you know, in a, but in a very different way from, you know, the, the dreary existence of being stuck in a loveless relationship and being gaslighted for, for many years. Um, instead it's been just like really, really, really challenging, heavy stuff that me and my, my sons have had to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point I've been like, uh, like, I mean, come on, can we just like turn the page? Can we just like dispense with the drama? This is like, it's, it's enough, you know, but I actually just out of curiosity, I recently, uh, decided to make a recording of myself talking about everything that's happened since that breakup, you know, mm-hmm. and to see how long it takes me to go over it in, but still in a short amount of time as possible while not leaving out necessary details. And it took me an hour wow. to just go through that. And I was talking like really fast the whole time. And there was this like constant, something new, something new. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's quite a story uh, in itself. Yeah. And it's been like, as you obviously know, like, in December last year, my kid's biological dad, he died. Uh, he ended up killing himself. And that was just like, uh, obviously the biggest, uh, most shocking and just terrible thing that happened during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, that would actually be interesting to maybe go back and like, because this is obviously called Daddy Unscripted. And just to talk about fathers for a moment, he... Uh, he was my first boyfriend. Mm. Like my, uh, he was the first guy I kissed. You know, even uh, when I was eighteen. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was very innocent uh, <laughs> up until that point. And uh, so I, I, I fall in love with this guy. He's like, he's he goes to my gym, and we were like really dorky, like looking at each other back and forth for like I don't know months <laughs> before he finally had the courage to talk to me. And I was keeping a diary from that time. I remember I was writing about him every day and I was like, when is he going to talk to me? I wonder if he's going to be there tomorrow. And it's like, oh, this is adorable. Um, very sweet. 
And I remember telling my friend, my best friend who went to the gym with me all the time, was like, I recently discovered weightlifting. Uh, it was just like the best thing in the world. And I, I went to the gym every single day. Hmm. And, and I, I said to her, like, he's going to be my kid's dad, you know, before I'd even talked to him. So that was weird. Um, and, you know, uh, he's uh, 17, I'm 18 when we start dating. And when I'm 19 and he's 18, I get pregnant with my older son. Hmm. And I, I'm still in school. I'm finishing school at that time. Basically, like I graduate and then it's my 20th birthday a couple days later. And then the next day he's born. Oh, gosh. So my birthday is May 25th. His is May 26th. So I, I did not experience being in my 20s and not being a mother. I, I got like half a day of that. <laughs> And then, bam, I'm, I'm a mom. You yeah. know? I will say that I never planned on having kids at any point. I'd never even thought about it. So this was absolutely uh, not what I had um, intended to just, like, start off as soon as I graduated, just, like, you know, raising a kid. Yeah. And he was, like, a personal trainer. I had, like, studied that, and he was doing really well and successful and had a lot of money. And I was just, like um, – I was happy with him for a long, for a while. We were, our relationship was not like terrible from the start. Um, we really loved each other. And then just like 18 months after uh, my older son is born, I have my second son mm-hmm. and he was also not planned. He was like a kind of a coincidence because I was like switching between two different kinds of birth control. No, actually it's even more uh, convoluted than that. I had a ectopic pregnancy when my older son was six months old or nine, nine months, maybe. Mm. Uh, so I had to have like my IUD removed and <laughs> switched to um, the pill and then it wasn't working for me. So I switched to another one and there was a two week break and then I managed to get pregnant. And so that's how my younger son came to be. Wow. And I'm so grateful for that because he's like very meant to be here. Oh yeah. And he's just like, he's so much meant to be here. <laughs> he's like, you know, both of them are, they're just like the biggest gift that life has given me. So things became a little hard after I um, had both of them. Um, I was so young. I, I didn't know how to be a mom. I I felt like I, this is, isn't really what I had planned on doing. And I suffered from like postpartum depression. Mm. And we kind of, he started working like really, really hard. Like he was like a workaholic. Uh, he would like go at 5 a.m. to the gym and be like training people until 11 p.m. at night. Wow. And eventually he basically falls in love with one of his clients mm. who's an older woman. She's like eight years older than him. She's like a pilot. She's like really successful and sophisticated and beautiful. And um, I was just kind of depressed and at home with these babies, you know, he was so young also. And I kind of understand that he was kind of blinded by her the whole thing. I mean, she just like, she was just intent on snatching him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's such a common thing, but this was obviously my first experience with heartbreak. Um, and it devastated me. They were having an affair for months, mm-hmm. uh, like many, many months. And when I realized it, um, I felt like I, it was like my whole life was just like ending. That was how bad it was. And my kids are, this, uh, this was 2001. Uh, so my kids are two, almost two and three and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's when I moved back in with my parents for the first time. (laughs) And uh, it was just the most dreadfully depressing thing that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. There was no social media. I had not been in any contact with any friends because I didn't really have any friends before dating this guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was like completely isolated back home with my parents with these two little kids. And it was just like, ugh. and every kind of 
he he was really shitty at that time. For a short time, he would take the kids every other weekend, and then it you know became like once a month because he would always just like make excuses not to take them. Mm-hmm. So I I hated him deeply. Uh, and his wife, he ended up marrying her, had two other kids with her, and they were just disgusting towards me. It was just like really 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 unpleasant. And having that experience as like the first, um, because it's the first love of your life, and it's also this really horrible, unpleasant, uh, toxic breakup where people were just like going out of their way to be really nasty. Uh, it was like really bad for for me and for for the boys, obviously. And um, eventually, he just completely just like opted out of being their dad. He like he just like he filed paperwork where he just said like, I'm not going to be taking them over the weekends anymore. I'm just going to not interact with them anymore and he cited the reason as me being too insane to deal with oh my gosh uh which is a weird flaw in logic because if i'm too insane to deal with wouldn't you want to have them on your kid yeah you know (laughs) you're just gonna leave your kids with some insane woman you know that doesn't doesn't make that does not say a lot of good things about you as a as a as a father you know (laughs) yeah but obviously that he was just saying that because he was like being you know mean and uh uh, so that was, uh, this had a huge, huge effect on me and my, my whole love life afterwards, because that really does a number on your, on your self-esteem and your self-worth, but it wasn't like all bad. I mean, I, I spent eight years living with my parents and I eventually got into art school, which was the most fun I've ever had or had ever had up till that point. And I started really kind of finding myself and it was, you know, 2005 is when I, started playing around with digital photography and started using Flickr and really kind of discover, discovering myself as, as a creative individual. So that was a, it was a nice period in my life. But during that whole time, I, I, I really hated this guy. I hated this guy for just like abandoning his kids and also being just such a douchebag to me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, uh, I mean, we literally never talked. He didn't give them presents. He didn't do anything. Uh-huh. For them. Uh, he paid obviously like, I don't know if it's, like child support, you know, mm-hmm. I was like legally was, was forced to do that, but, um, he would have skipped it if he could have gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. And he also managed to somehow get his parents on board with not communicating with their grandkids. Wow. Um, they basically made them choose between my sons and the two younger sons that he had with the mm-hmm. other one. This is literally what they did. I, I, I learned this later from his younger brother. He just like confided in me like, this behavior is disgusting. I, I, I'm so angry at my brother for doing this. Mm-hmm. And that was his younger brother. He was like 18, I think, when he confided this in me. And I was like, you know, that says a lot about your character. Yeah. Uh, but it was good for me to hear that from a person inside his family to know that I wasn't just imagining it. I mean, it was like a, such a soap opera, really. And so there was no contact for all these years and also no contact with the grandparents. And so they kind of grew up having this idea that they were kind of, you know, in a way worthless, I guess, you know, when you get this message from your father as boys, I think, um, obviously very common, but you know, they had my dad and my brother to look up to. They were like, my, my dad is still, they regularly tell me that my dad is like their role model in life Mm. and like the greatest man they know, which is wonderful to me because to hear, because that means that like me living with my parents while they were growing up was really a good thing, Mm -hmm. like a really good thing for, for them to have that, you know, the safety of, of having grandparents that are there for them always. So I'm really thankful for that. And, but then like, okay, they, they had some rough, you know, teenage years, my kids. 
And uh, in 2015, my son has an accident. He was um, he was on shrooms, hmm. but he uh, stupidly did that in a movie theater and you know had a bad trip and ended up like throwing himself off running out of the theater. It was in a mall and he threw himself over like a balcony handrail and fell 21 feet onto like a marble floor below. Oh God. And he was really lucky to survive that. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the most, uh, that was probably one of the hardest nights of my life. Uh, when I got the call from the police that my son was in the hospital and he was still tripping when I got there and it was like very hard, but I'm not going to go any more into that. Uh, that was like a very difficult time. And, that was when his his dad finally reached out for the first time in 12 years, probably mm-hmm. called me and he was like, are you OK with me calling him to check on how he's doing? I'm like, yes, of course. I have never banned you from talking to your kids. I was all you all the time. Like and, and he knew that. So he called him and he tried to like mm, form a little kind of tentative bond between them. And they're 16 and 17 at that time. And it's a really hard age, I think, to connect with your dad. Yeah. Especially when you have this idea that your dad was a bit of a douchebag who treated your mother better. Mm-hmm. I, I was not like constantly like berating him or telling them stories about him or anything like that. It was just something that they knew was obviously the case. And so it was like kind of awkward, but they were you know, trying to give him a chance. He started like giving them Christmas presents. Um, and that was 2015. Um, but there was never any like they, they didn't become close or anything. And then in 2019, when I uh, break up with their stepdad, their dad reaches out and he's like, um, finally, like tells me these like 18 years after he basically did the same thing to me. He's like, I hate that this is happening to you again. I'm so sorry this is happening to you again. Mm. And at that point, he had he had broken up with the other woman in 2015. Uh, And he was in a relationship with a really lovely woman at this time. And he had, I I could sense that he had obviously come to his senses a little bit and I could hear that he felt terrible. And I wanted to just uh, give him the opportunity to make amends. And I had no interest in judging him for the past and being like still angry at him. That was like, no, no need for that. So I was like, uh, really appreciated that he reached out and he told me like, you know, I've always like been watching from a distance. Like I've admired what a great job you've done raising these boys of ours. Mm. And that was like one of the most important things I have ever heard in my life. Yeah, I never expected to hear it from him and hearing it at that moment when I just moved back to my parents, you know, uh, it was, it was good. I was really grateful that he did that. And he, um, he kind of helped them out like getting jobs in construction work, mm. uh, just like, and was kind of like, you know, they, they, they were kind of getting along and it was like, I was just, glad i was like fine just let them you know figure this out and maybe there'll be something nice moving forward so when he all of a sudden he's just um like does this he he just like nobody saw it coming Mm -hmm. uh you know so it's only been like four or five months that he's been connecting with them Uh, and then he uh just suddenly dies Mm -hmm. And there was just like, no, it didn't make any sense um, because he was leaving behind, obviously, four sons Mm -hmm. and like two stepdaughters and this wonderful woman who he had finally found like the right partner who loved him. And um, it was just so it was it was really bad. And it just made me deeply, deeply sad. Uh, And, you know, I had to deal with a lot of feelings I wasn't expecting to have to deal with because it was such a complicated relationship with this person yeah um many many layers and nuances of of mixed emotions going on there 
and I mean, this obviously did have a bad effect on us and my kids and it kind of uh, the months following this, uh, the first months of 2020 were the most difficult that I've ever experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like my younger son, he has no problem with me talking about it. Um, but I respect the wishes of my older son to not go into any details of what was going on with him. But it was like everyone's just like dealing with uh, a lot of emotional trauma, you know, like collective emotional years of it, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of um, escalated to a really, really dangerous point. And this year, um, my younger son was like, uh, just like, he's so he was he came so close to overdosing. Mm. Um, he had basically started using all the drugs. Um, and I'm, I wish I was exaggerating more, but basically everything except heroin. And I didn't even realize that some of this stuff was available in Iceland, you know? Mm. And so he was, um, he, he went really far with crystal meth, smoking crack, uh, and just like doing, uh, using a lot of uh, prescription drugs, like, um, like, uh, morphine based, like oxy and stuff like that. And, um, he had been like in a four day blackout. Or I mean, he was awake and talking, but he wasn't being himself. And I sensed that there was something really wrong, and I wasn't sure what it was. Uh, so, and, and and it ends up with him like passing out outside, and uh, some people found him and took him in into their home and contacted his friend somehow, and he brought him home to me. And uh, the day after that happened, um, like I watched him like a hawk throughout the mm-hmm. night just to make sure he was breathing and um so scared and this is around the same time covid is like really blowing up um, this is around march march 19th and the day after he um i, I take my eyes off him for like uh, i don't know three minutes to go to the bathroom and then when i come out he has like um taken a knife and um basically slashed his arm and shoulder like 35 times with a kitchen knife and it was like covered in blood and was freaking out. He was just like basically having like a psychotic break and because he, he was dealing with such terrible withdrawal symptoms and just despair. And I had to call an ambulance and it was all really, it was, it was just terrible. And a similarly bad incident had happened in February, just not quite this bad, but it was like, um, this was the second time an ambulance had to come to my home in the space of two months mm. with police. And he was taken to the hospital, but um, he was not admitted like to the psych ward or anything, not even for like overnight surveillance mm. because COVID. Oh God. There were so many restrictions for um, admitting patients. And mm-hmm. so three hours after I call the ambulance, I have to go pick him up again and take him home. <laughs> and, I'm just going to go ahead and, and tell this story, like all of it, because I think it will give maybe people a, a certain perspective on the whole COVID thing, like how fortunate some people have maybe been mm-hmm. in many ways. Basically, I pick him up again. He's given some sort of something to keep, to help him sleep that night and was told he was allowed to come back to talk to a counselor the next day. But I was still like, are you kidding me? I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to protect him. I don't know. Yeah. I've never been in this situation. Uh, this is insane. And like that same day, I get a message from a guy I had been dating uh, earlier that year. And he tells me like, hey, my um, 
I, or, or the way I, I wasn't really focused on that conversation. We, I was no longer talking to him and I wasn't interested. I, I, I was like kind of angry at him. Like, cause I was like, that's a whole other, other story, but he was, he was an asshole. He was an asshole and many other things, but uh, he's like telling me this, like, I felt like he was saying, I came into contact with someone who was COVID positive and maybe you should try to get a test. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. I'm kind of dealing with something else right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I literally, I couldn't care less because this was still when people were very much kind of clinging to the idea that COVID didn't affect young people or healthy people. Yeah. And I obviously, I had always been kind of aware that I was likely to pick it up at some point because my kid had been like going through this period of being around all sorts of people and being in all sorts of places. And I, I wasn't able to just lock him inside so I had always kind of suspected that I would be one of the people who would get COVID early on. And he's telling me this and it's still just kind of like it's this noise at the back of my mind. And I'm just like focused on getting my kid through the next night and the next day. And it was going okay. And he was, you know, he was really intent on, you know, getting himself put together again. And, <laughs> and then we start getting sick mm. and I start like, I have this like sore throat and a mild fever, not very high. And I figure oh, it's probably just from all the, the pressure of, of what's been going on, because this is like very obviously affects your uh, immune system. Yeah. All this, uh, the stress. But I called and I was like, hey, um, so I was wondering if I could get a COVID test because I'm feeling kind of sick. And and it was just like a uh, computer says no. Yeah. It's like, no. Do you have like a fever of like this much or do you have a cough? And I was like, no, I don't have either of those, but I still feel kind of. And also I talked to a person who told me they were most likely positive. So they told me I should get a test. And still that was like, no, um, no, I'm sorry. There's like a shortage of the test um, swaps. So I was denied a test and also my son. And I'm like, but seriously, I'm going through this really difficult thing where I'm trying to like nurse my son back to health from like the worst <laughs> withdrawal from all the worst drugs like mm-hmm. can can you guys just like give me a break and just like let me have a test and it was like no mm-hmm. and I tried like I think I called that week I called three different places and all of them just said no <laughs> but still they were like but you should definitely just kind of act like you have it right yeah isolate don't meet meet anyone don't don't go anywhere and I was like okay I was probably gonna do that anyway because I'm not an asshole <laughs> you know like I'm going to just like walk around and go to go hug my parents and go to the store when I'm obviously sick. Yeah. And I, I myself was pretty much convinced that I had it. So I was like, yeah, that was very helpful. Thank you for that. Um, and I was just like so mad. The, the next few weeks are just like a blur. I don't even remember half of it. It was just like this terrible, boring period where I was just like dealing with all sorts of symptoms that I'd never experienced in my life before. Mm. But at the same time, wondering if it was like, if it was just like a psychosomatic thing, it was just, if it was just my anxiety, mm-hmm. because, you know, after the first initial week of feeling sick, I started feeling better. And I was like, oh, okay, I managed to kick it, you know, because I was really, I was really fit at this time. And like February, I was like in the best shape of my life. I'd been like just working out like an insane person. And I was like crazy. Like I had so much stamina and a lot of strength. And I'd been like, so I was like pretty sure I would beat it really quickly. Uh, so I felt like a little bit better and I was like, oh, great. I'll do some burpees in my living room. Um, like, like let, let's not start out slow. Let's just like, go straight to burpees. Yeah. That's just kind of how I am. And I remember I was doing burpees for like, uh, like half a minute and then I stopped uh, to catch my breath. And then I was just like not catching my breath. Mm-hmm. It was the weirdest feeling I had ever experienced because I've never had asthma or anything. I've never had any breathing issues. 
And I was just like pacing back and forth in my living room, like just trying to catch my breath and it wasn't happening. And it was like my lungs, like they had been like, like someone stuck a vacuum down there and just like sucked half the air out of it, mm. out of them. Or, or maybe like they had shrunk to like two thirds of their normal capacity. And there was just like this heavy pain in my chest. And I was like, okay, this is, this is scary. This is le- legit scary. And I resorted to, I had, I'd basically managed to stop taking my anxiety meds, which I had been hooked on for like three years. I had like recently managed to kick that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it had become an addiction basically to um, Xanax. And I was like, I was so happy about that. But at that point I was like, okay, I'm starting just to panic because I can't catch my breath. So I'm just going to allow myself to go and just take something to just like help myself calm down. Mm -hmm. And it actually helped. Um, You know, there's a definite connection between anxiety and panic exacerbating the symptoms of the breathing issues, at least in my case, this was very obvious, Mm -hmm. you know, because not catching your breath is actually something that's common with panic attacks in general. Right. So I, I, you know, resorted to just taking those meds because I still had them up in my kitchen cupboard and uh, kept calling to try to get a test throughout, you know, this whole period. At one point I heard in the news, they were talking about like, if you've lost your sense of taste or smell, definitely call us and get a test. So I called like really excited, like, yes, yes, I, ex- I actually did experience that. And also all the other stuff, except for the cough. That's the only symptom I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And then the woman on the phone was just like, yes, are you currently experiencing a lack of taste or smell? And I was like, no, it came back like two days ago. Oh, okay. No, we're only admitting people who are oh currently exhibiting this. And I'm like, you are <laughs> kidding me. Like, come on. <laughs> what? Like, this is just ridiculous. This is just cruel. And I remember because, I mean, stuff was going on with my kids. It was just stressful. And and I wasn't able to, like, go over to my parents and, and get a hug and, like, mm-hmm. or my sister or my brother and just, like, feel I had to go through this, like, just only, like, with them. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was so hard. And so eventually, like, my symptoms disappear and I'm starting to feel human again and and I was very lucky that I did not get any of like the super serious uh, symptoms because obviously then I would have gone to the hospital. But I think it was like just as bad as it could be when you have to go through it at home, uh, especially because I wasn't getting any kind of support from any anyone in the like any doctors or nurses. Right. If anything, I was made to feel like I was being dramatic and I was imagining it all because I got this message that you probably don't even have it, oh my God. which I can't even describe how frustrating that was. It was just like, it was infuriating. Yeah. But because I've also had this tendency to doubt myself, I actually did let that idea, like, am I just being like a drama queen? Am I imagining it all? Right. But no, I mean, I know my body. I know my, what I'm used to being like, and this was not normal in any way. And it wasn't until like uh, beginning of May, I was finally able, I think I actually cried on the phone talking to just my my family doctor. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you at least let me have a test to just see if it's gone so that I can go hug my parents once, maybe? <laughs> uh, you know, and she's like, okay, fine. But I mean, it's probably going to come out negative. I'm like, yeah, that is exactly why I want to have it. <laughs> you know, what is wrong with you people? Why are you being so, you're like, don't you understand how important that is? to be able to just rule it out. So, um, you know, I finally got that like, okay, you don't have COVID, but still was not able to prove that I had had it, you know? So that's still annoying. Um, right. And I just go through like, um, the beginning of summer, I start to kind of start to try to get moving again and start working out again. I think the gyms opened in 
I think, uh, June Mm -hmm. after being closed for nine weeks. But one of the most important things that happened in early June, actually, was um, because I'd been struggling with the breathing issues and being out of breath and having no stamina and no energy for, for months, like taking my dog for a five minute walk just left me out of breath. And I used to be doing like sprints for half an hour. You know, that was what I was used to. And so I don't know. I think there was some issue with my car, like some tiny little thing on top of everything else that somehow was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And it just like pushed me into this really deep depression where I was just like, that's it. I can't go on. Life is too hard. My car is like, you know, I had, you know, gotten a new car at some point and it was like a really shitty car. And I knew that it had these issues and, but it was like something that came up that I had to have it fixed immediately. And I didn't like, I couldn't afford it. And I was like, Ugh. you know, I wrote something about that on Facebook. And this guy who had been like my Facebook friend for like a long time, he reaches out and he's like, I could probably help you with the car. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I'm thinking like, oh, there's probably a catch. But he was just like, he was just genuinely being a great human being. Nice. He was just being a person who recognized that this is a person who's been having a really, really shitty year. <laughs> you know, he'd been following all, all the stuff that I'd actually talked about online. And he knew that I was like struggling with a lot of stuff. And um, so he reached out, he, he um, offers to fix my car. And it was actually a huge job. It, spent him, it took him like 10 hours. Wow. You know, it had like tear so much apart and the whole car was like rusting apart. And, it, and he, <laughs> it was a lot of work for him. And I was like feeling like way too nice of you. And I'm like, are you sure I'm not supposed to pay you? And he's like, no, maybe you can find some way to pay me back later, but I refuse. You're not going to pay me for this. I just want to help you. And then he says, have you heard of something called Wim Hof? Oh. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I actually, I mean, I had heard of it like previously when I was like going in the water on that boat, I had already, people had like been talking about this Wim Hof method, which was, I had never looked into it. I had never really studied it, but I just vaguely knew what it, it had something to do with breathing and cold therapy. Um, and I say like, no, I haven't, you know, I've kind of wanted to take a class, but I've never really felt ready or I felt like ready to justify paying for it. And also I was terrified of the idea of sitting in a ice bath. <laughs> you know, that's not something that you like, feel like jumping into at any point. So he's like, okay, this has changed my life. I think this is what would actually really help you right now. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And he ends up talking to the guy who has these, these classes here in Iceland and calls me after a few days after fixing my car. He's like, you know, Rebecca, I got you a free spot. You don't have to pay. You can just go. It starts June 2nd. And I really think you should do it. And I'm like, okay, wow. Uh, you know, part of me is like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't want to do this now. Because I was still really depressed and kind of feeling sorry for myself over everything that had happened. And mm-hmm. which I might add, I felt perfectly validated in doing because it had actually been a really, really hard few months. And sure. But geez, yes. I did not want to continue wallowing in any kind of self pity or. Like, uh, I really wanted to actually do something for myself to help get out of this rut. Mm-hmm. And I also wondered if it might help me with the COVID symptoms, like the period of not being able to like breathe properly and exercise without getting out of breath. And so I decided to do it. And I, I took this class and it was, it was amazing. It was just like, uh, it was a game changer. And I'm not like sponsored by anyone related. It's just like, this is literally such a great thing that I feel like I have to tell everybody about it. Because it just had such a profound effect on my whole outlook. And the name of the class in Icelandic is Hachtavaila uh, Kotakaila. You know, it rhymes. 
<laughs> so it's hard to translate it into English so that it doesn't doesn't sound stupid. But the the general what that means is basically stop complaining and chill. <laughs> I guess you could. That's probably the best way to put that into English. And uh, it so there's a lot of psychology behind it. The teacher is basically forcing you to get your mind out of how you're used to thinking and really embracing the idea of going out of your comfort zone and asking yourself like every time you want to complain about something every time life feels hard or something is annoying you or you're irritated about some little thing or you know just stop and ask yourself have i tried everything that i could possibly be doing to make it better and if the answer to that is no then you know try doing something new that might help before you give up and this is like um it's very logical but this is not like an intuitive way to think when you're feeling that uh you know people are just very easily fall into this rut of feeling sorry for themselves and wanting to just give up and just lie in bed and but i didn't i just didn't want to do that. i'd already spent so much of my life so much of the past 10 years like being miserable and i didn't want to go back to being that way uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. And like this guy, this teacher, he triggered me like a couple of times where I almost like wanted to walk out. But then I had to realize like, oh, he's right. I'm wrong. You know, like every time he pointed something out to me, I had to like, I wanted to like argue. And then I was like, nope, he's right. You know, I had to just swallow my pride and admit that, uh, you know, I, I was often wrong in the way I was thinking and mm-hmm. going so, so I, you know, we're taught this breathing method, which is really kind of complicated and it's not fun and it takes like 15 minutes to do at a time and you get really lightheaded at first and it's, it can feel a little overwhelming and unpleasant, um, almost like hyperventilating at some point and you feel it's, it's very counterintuitive somehow. And it was hard to get into a routine of doing that, but I forced myself to do it every single day, uh, usually twice a day, uh, but the harder thing was going into the ice water. It was just like, um, I don't know if, if you've tried it. Have you tried like going in really cold water? I haven't tried it. No. It's uh, it's like one of those, uh, you have to override the whole, um, it's mind over, mind over body 100%. Because mm-hmm. your body is like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't, that does not look like something that's going to be comfortable in any way. And uh, you know that going in and you know that it's going to be shocking and, and, and hard. Uh, so I was scared. I'm just it's like I was literally like scared to do this. I don't it's weird how because it's not dangerous. or anything. It's not like painful exactly, but it's just so counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time I managed to. Um, so there's just like these containers of cold water that you so you're not swimming around. You just you sit down and you're just completely still. And the first initial shock of when you, um, it's not that bad up until your waist. And then once you put your upper body and like the heart area into the water and the lungs, that's when you, you tend to just completely lose your breath. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually, uh, you have to really train yourself to figure out what the best way is of how, how you're supposed to breathe, like right before going in so that you don't end up like just gasping like uh, a fish out of water for like the first 15, 20 seconds. Uh, but that's what happened to me. Like the first few times I was just like completely, you know, I would have, I, I did not want anyone to be like watching me because I felt so like <laughs> I, I was not uh, able to control my breathing. It's like really mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing and uncomfortable. But then I realized after a few times, I just, if I managed to just like take a deep breath before going in and then sit down and then let it out. And I was not, it wasn't as hard to get through this first shock 
mm-hmm. but it was always hard. And, and he told us to take cold showers every day at home. Uh, and that is actually even harder for me because the water is like hitting you constantly from like, you're turning around in circles and the water is like constantly hitting you. Yeah. Whereas where you immerse, if you immerse yourself fully into a container of water after, if you manage to relax completely and just completely let go of your muscles and just completely calm yourself, you experience the most wonderful feeling of uh, like Zen. It's like, it's, uh, you can't even imagine what it's like if you've never done it, because it's like um, you have to go through this discomfort to get there. Mm-hmm. But once it kicks in, it's like it, your, your entire body becomes a little bit numb and you just feel like this, this in, incredible sense of peace and tranquility. And it's amazing really. And the cold has like an anti-inflammatory effect on like chronic, uh, like I had like this chronic pain in my shoulder from a minor injury the year before. And I'd often had like problems with my back from another injury much farther back. And that those like chronic pains started going away and I felt less anxious. I felt more able to focus. And so I started doing this like all the time. Every time I went to the gym, I went in the cold tub. There was like a, a spa area with a cold tub at the gym. And I would do that, sit there for two, three minutes after every workout. And I would go to this lake, um, one of my favorite locations to take photos actually through the years. I had um, often thought to myself how, how cool it would be if I could actually swim in it, mm. but it was so cold. I would never, I, I was never able to do, go any further than like up to my like upper legs. Uh, and that was like, oh, this is way too cold. I could never swim in this. But at, like this summer for the first time, I actually went and went all the way in and I did that a few times. Uh, last in October, I went there and it was like, it was so cold. Um, but like just, just having this at my disposal all of a sudden, this, um, you know, proving to myself that I was able to do something that I had thought was impossible for me to do, just literally physically impossible, mm-hmm. um, had, had somehow become almost like a habit. And, I was like, I found it really exciting to contemplate what that means for other aspects of my life. Uh, Like, I did not see this coming. I had never envisioned myself able to do this particular thing. But here I was doing it, like, on a regular basis, and it got easier and easier and easier each time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it took me, like, months to finally get the hang of the cold showers without, like, you know, feeling uncomfortable the whole time. And uh, so this is a very gradual thing that takes time to get used to. And my breathing issues, they, they got like almost like after one month of this, I, I almost felt back to normal. Uh, like I had just like managed to cure myself of, of the, the long COVID symptoms. So this was like the best thing that happened to me that summer. Um, you know, enormously grateful to this guy for for having just the kindness to kind of kick me <laughs> in this direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, because sometimes that's that's what you need. You need to be pushed. And you need to do things that are just hard and unpleasant in order to reach something that is so much better. So that like, it got me thinking like, okay, um, what other things might be waiting around the corner if I you know, accept the fact that I, I might have to do things that are uncomfortable, I might have to push myself over and over again out of my comfort zone in order to reach certain goals that just had this huge like mind-opening effect on making me realize that I was probably capable of doing a ton of things that I had been telling myself for like the last 10 years that I was not capable of doing. Yeah. So, you know, just being able to being given that opportunity to realize that, realize that you actually, Hey, I actually do kind of believe in myself after all. And I actually do believe that 
great things can happen, you know, even though terrible things happen, if you just don't give up and just keep going, you know, I have been like taught that lesson in a very, you know, like <laughs> it was a bit of a crash course, I guess, uh, you know, kind of a lot of things I wish I had, you know, not had to go through this year, but ultimately it has led me to this place where I'm just like, I'm like excited mm-hmm. about my future prospects and excited about the idea of, I mean, like the, like, I've been like thinking about doing a Patreon for like years and doubting, like, is that something I'm supposed to do? Is that because I haven't been like actively creating stuff, you know, recently, but I obviously haven't been able to, but that doesn't mean I, I shouldn't like try to use whatever I have at my disposal to try to get myself back to a place where I can, where I can do that. Yeah. So just like in the last few weeks, I've been finally getting around to just like figuring out how my Patreon works and how, how to set that up and how that works. And thinking about this whole, like, like I've been wanting to do podcasts for a long time, to be honest, mm-hmm. like at the back of my mind. But, and I also had this idea of having a YouTube channel at some point, but both of these things were things like felt like that's just not what I do. You know, I'm not a podcast person and I'm not a YouTuber, but I don't really know why that should be the case because I, when I started using Flickr, it's not like I had any idea that I was going to become a person that uh, thousands and thousands of people all over the world would be like following and sending me emails and telling me that I was inspiring them and whatever. And I didn't plan any of that. Yeah. Uh, and so many things have been kind of like come up just kind of like by accident. And I've just like, like the book that I wrote, I wrote a book in 2014. Uh, I had never really quite expected that I would be able to do that. And I did. So, you know, it's weird when you've already proven to yourself that you can do things that you haven't done before. But for some reason, this has been something that I've been really shy about, like talking about. And like, I almost feel kind of silly asking people around me, like, do you guys think I could like, you think I have like what it takes to be like, it's like, this is constant self doubt. Mm-hmm. And people are just like rolling their eyes and it's like, uh, yes, why, why wouldn't you? Because like, I mean, like I had this discussion with my kids yesterday, kind of telling them that like, so I'm about to do this interview with this podcast guy. And he's been like, um, you know, kind of excited to talk to me. And, and I'm like, I wonder if that, if that means that maybe I <laughs> like, might be meant to go in that direction. And, you know, <laughs> And it's like, they're just like looking at me like, um, yeah, like, because the most natural, natural thing in the world for me to just like, why don't you just do it? You know, Mm -hmm. constantly asking yourself all these, because you can't know beforehand how things are going to be. And if, if you're just going to go through life trying to like beforehand, make sure that something is going to work out, nothing is going to happen. You have to, you know, like you have to let go and throw yourself into the void and, you know, make yourself open to new opportunities. And, you know, the idea of failure is obviously always going to be there. But if you don't do anything, obviously you're going to fail. So that whole way of thinking is something that I've really had to kind of force myself to really ponder and contemplate. Like, um, isn't it just you that's holding yourself back? Mm-hmm. Literally, that is what has been like the realization of like just the last month I'm like oh I get it it's just me I'm the one that's holding myself back and I'm finally like ready to just stop doing that and that's a scary and exciting prospect I will absolutely admit uh, <laughs> but you know it feels like it's time like 10 years is enough time to just like completely lose track of of your dreams and your goals and I don't see any any reason to continue doing that yeah so yeah 
kind of like a crossroads, I feel like, in my life now. So yeah, this whole like story, which was really hard and difficult, that it, it actually ended on a positive note. And, you know, my, my family is doing great. My kids are doing great. And we've never been closer. And, and it's just like, uh, I'm just so grateful. Every day, I'm so grateful for just every little thing. And um, so it's like, it's frustrating to listen to people just complaining about not being able to go to the bar, you know, mm -hmm. not being able to have parties and not being able to this and not be, I'm just like, these are, I'm wondering, are these just the people that have never had to go through any difficulties in their life that just mm -hmm. don't know how to deal with like the slightest amount of adversity? Because, uh, like for me, I mean, it's like, it just seems so natural to just like accept that sometimes life is hard and you can't always get what you want and you can't always do what you want, but you just need to focus on what is still available and what is still good because not everything is bad, you know? Uh, and there, there's been so much just like negative discussion about just everything. And, um, it's like the most important thing you do in times like these is to remind yourself like every single day what it is that you have to be grateful for because uh, in most cases there is always something. Yeah. That's probably like the most important thing I've learned going through all that I've gone through. It's interesting. All the different perspectives that will be coming out of this as we start to come out of this, as we're recording on the day that vaccines are finally being administered in the U S for like the first time ever. And yeah. I don't know, you know, I know they've been doing them in Britain already and, mm -hmm. Obviously, they're going to start continuing to go around, but it's going to be interesting, those different perspectives of people who have had that very grounding time or moment or experience or whatever that they are coming away from this with mm -hmm. that very real feeling of gratefulness, of humility, mm -hmm. etc., that a lot of other people have been spending raging out <laughs> and um yeah i mean i just i don't know you can't either judge people you know you, it's not you can't just judge everyone just because their life hasn't been hard but they haven't had like right work. um it's just your experience is just what you have experienced um that's, mm -hmm. that's how it is and you have to kind of remind yourself of that instead of just getting mad at people just like they just don't get it they don't get it yeah they haven't had reason to understand how things can be different just like i don't have any sense of how i've had it so much better than so many other people and that is like uh this thought that is very common i think with people who have experienced trauma of any sort is to try to kind of diminish it by telling themselves that uh well at least you have it better than a lot of other people so many people have it much mm -hmm. worse and like this kind of self-deprecating humor is something that i've you know resorted to over and over and over again just to have like this comical to be able to laugh at at the absurdity of some of the, the really bad things that have happened is like um almost like a survival tool i think uh being able to just go through it but still retain your sense of humor mm -hmm. uh is is really important or that's really what has kept me and my kids going through the darkest moments but yeah uh your experience is only as you know just like if it's if, if something is the worst thing you've experienced then that is 100% valid as the worst thing you've experienced. And you're absolutely allowed to feel terrible about it. Um, you don't have to com constantly compare yourself to other people because, um, and that's like an important thing to remind people of as well, that you're allowed to just acknowledge that something is hard 
But I mean, especially if it teaches you to just, you know, kind of shift your outlook and, and it makes you more grateful and more happy to be alive, ultimately. And that is definitely how it has been for me. Yeah, for sure. And and everybody's ceiling is different. Yes. Like the height of what they have or depth to what they have gone through. There's people around that have a ceiling of tolerance that is just barely above their heads because they mm-hmm. their life experiences haven't raised it. And then there's others of us that are living in the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> Even opened opened like the skylight and and peeked out out of that. Yes, you know that's pretty much how. Like it just it just goes on. You know there are no right. limits to how difficult things can be. And thankfully, I I you know obviously I feel like we managed to like skate to the brink and we turned it around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people are not that fortunate. So it would be crazy to go through all that and not realize how how fortunate you are and, and just live your life according. To with that kind of uh, at the back of your mind every day, because it really does make life easier to deal with. Yeah. Uh, Just that shift in perspective. I feel like you are kind of in a wider scope view of your life. Like Mm -hmm. what you were talking about, the feeling and everything from the cold tubs going through the discomfort and all of that at the front end. And then getting to, that period of Zen and everything afterwards, I feel like that is your year Uh right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I have often said like to myself, like this has in many ways been the best year of my life Mm -hmm. as weird as that might sound, but it really has in the sense that it has taught me just so many invaluable lessons about myself and um, you know, just there's been so much self-discovery and like things kind of finally falling into place, you know, like, oh, it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole thing of everything being connected, everything happening for a reason, um, like coincidences, you start to notice them more when you start really kind of being aware of, of how, how many things are connected. Uh, and like really thinking about like, why is this individual in my life right now? What am I supposed to learn from this? Mm-hmm. Rather than dismissing things, because I mean, if you're just like going through life with your eyes closed, you just easily just kind of dismiss a lot of things and miss a lot of details that might be you know clues to that might help you get somewhere uh so i've been like really deliberately really questioning like every interaction with every person that i've gotten to know in the past year and like uh really like learned literally learned something from everything Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's a really it's a really refreshing way of, of going through through life because i obviously wasn't wasn't doing that for a very long time yeah so right now i'm just like kind of stoked just just uh like okay got through this. This has been, this has been fun. You know, <laughs> it's been a trip, but now I'm just like, I'm going to start doing something fun now. I'm really going to just like, I'm just going to go there and just throw myself back into creating uh, and just kind of just admit to myself that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's what I want to be doing. Mm. And that's what I should be doing. And it's going to be scary and it's going to be hard and it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And the cool thing is you have such a strong, background in it and it's like you're kind of getting back on the bicycle or tapping back into these skills the way i see it it's like i had been like on this path and then i just like was kind of forced to take this really long detour uh through this really dark forest with all sorts of really unpleasant (laughs) 
creatures jumping out from the trees, you know, and, and just like uh, all sorts of things happening that I hadn't anticipated and I never envisioned would be a part of my life or my kid's life. But all of it has ultimately led me back onto the original path, but with like a whole bunch of material to work with. Yes. Uh, you know, just this whole experience. I look at it like it's just this huge like treasure chest of of material to, to work mm-hmm. with in some way. I don't know what exactly I'm going to do with it or I've started like writing a lot. Uh, I don't know if I'm like writing a book or if I'm just writing just as therapy or if I'm going to mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know, but I feel so compelled to do it that I literally, I, I like um, if I'm like halfway falling asleep, uh, something will come into my head and I have to just like grab the computer and just like start writing. It's like that strong. So I'm just like following that urge and seeing where that goes. Oh, that's a great place to be in. Yeah, it really is. And it's, 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 and it also, it kind of reminds me of the, the, this whole idea of, if you overthink something beforehand, before you start, and you're trying to decide before you start what the end result is supposed to be, that's not how it works. It's just not how it right. works. You know, that's not how creativity works. Yeah. And I've, I mean, there are so many cases of this uh, with uh, photos that I've made in the past where I started out with some idea, but the end result is something completely different. But the process of starting, just starting with the original idea and just seeing where that leads you it always leads you somewhere. But if you just give up on the idea and don't start, it's going to leave you just really mad at yourself. And, you know, you know nothing, nothing's coming is going to come from that. Uh, so that's, mm-hmm. that, that, so I decided to stop trying to decide what kind of book I'm supposed to write because I've, the book idea has been in my head for so long and just, just start writing. And it just has happened almost automatically. It's just like, I haven't even decided like what topic or what experience I'm going to write about. It has been like, it just comes up to my head, like, almost by itself. And I just write about it and then I'm done. And then I just put that aside. And then a few days later, something else will just pop up onto the surface. And I write about that and put that aside and, you know, playing around with different ways of writing. Like, am I writing, like I'm in some cases writing about myself in the third person as if it's a fictional novel that I'm reading. Uh, And in some cases just expressing myself like, like I'm talking about myself and just, you know, playing around with the medium Mm -hmm. because you know, I, I, even though I've, I've often written stuff before and I've never had really enough practice to be, you know, I acknowledge that I'm not ready to write this book, you know, because I haven't been practicing enough. It's exactly the same as with my, with my, when I first got my digital camera and I had no idea what I was doing with it in most cases. And I just did everything, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of this, a little that, and, you know, just played around with all these different different subject matter and um, until I found kind of my uh, niche, which turned out to be self-portraits in landscape, usually in some sort of surreal, uh, you know, some sort of surreal aspect to it. That was, you know, ended up being like what I most wanted to do. And um, so I figured it's the same with the writing. It's just like, start, just start doing something and see what happens and what sticks out and what doesn't. so that has been like a really refreshing kind of uh, new new thing for me to work on. I haven't like shown it to not, to except like a handful of people just to get some sort of feedback. Um, but none mm-hmm. of it is none of it is ready to present, you know, and that's okay. That's totally okay. I feel like that's it's perfectly natural. Yeah, you can't like instantly be good at some medium that you haven't focused all your energy on before. Uh, so. I'm excited about that as well. It's the whole idea of branching out, mm-hmm. which is okay. I mean, you're like, I mean, especially for me, I've been doing many different things. I've been 
you know, doing the knitting. I've been doing the drawing and taking pictures and writing. So why wouldn't I add a fifth or sixth option to dabble around in? Because that's just how my brain works. I'm not like this. I don't have like this, you know, just this laser focus on one thing, you know. I mean, it would probably be more practical for me <laughs> from like a financial sure. financial standpoint if I had just been able to just like focus all my thing on just doing one thing really, really well and marketing that. But, you know, that's just not me. It's not who I am. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of normal for a lot of us artistic mm-hmm. types. Yeah. It's having multiple avenues that we're tapping into. Yeah, because, you know, I get easily bored. Like the multiplicity pic- pictures that I used to be doing. Um, yeah. That was one of my uh, Hotel California things as well. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> people were like constantly talking about those. And I was like, oh, come on. That was just a phase. That was yeah. a phase like when I was like kind of discovering myself. And, you know, because there was a lot of psychological thought behind those pictures when I was doing them. But then I was like, okay, I've done that. I'm bored with it. Everyone is doing this. It's not something that I want to be like associated with forever. Yeah. But for years after I stopped doing it, it was still like one of the first things that, oh, you did those. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> now, even now that more time has passed, I look at those pictures and I'm like, damn, those were fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I totally get it that that was something that appealed to people because they were just really fun and playful. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I feel like we could do like seven more days of these. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I feel like there's multiple things that we touched on that I could come back to and we could spend a bunch of time on. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like these stepping stones, like that you're just like briefly touching down on and then it's like you continue. But there's like so much more story behind a lot of other things that, you know, like I said, I could I can continue just talking forever. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we wrap up. Yeah, for now. Um, for now. <laughs> There's a humongous ellipses on that. Yeah. But for me, like, this was a necessary thing for me to be able to just, like, really go a little bit more in depth into what's been going on because it's just so, it feels so good to be able to just let go of it. Unload it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to just, you know, it's almost like I'm clearing out the cobwebs in my, in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's similar to what's happening when I'm doing the writing. It feels like if you take memories and you write them down and you not, and they're in this file on your computer, you don't have to carry them around with you anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also is a really good thing. So this has been amazing. We, um, obviously have not just scratched the surface what's whatever we have dug beneath the surface very deeply but i feel like there is still things there to be uncovered i will just say thank you so much for being part of this rebecca i i can't thank you enough and thank you for your um extreme candor and i know that this has been helpful for me to have this conversation with you mm-hmm. um, because of some of those things that I'm just kind of dancing around that touched okay. on things that I know we can go deeper on. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell this story. Yeah. It's like um, something I've really needed to do for a long time and I'm just really grateful for that. So, and it's just been really fun too. Yeah. Like I said, when we were talking about this, we're just talking it's like if if I was Mike Myers and you were Madonna, we would say it's coffee talk. <laughs> I mean, it just feels very natural, I guess I would say. You know, it just feels like a very logical conversation to be having. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. Cool. Um, so I will let you 
tell people where where would you direct people to go and find you find your social media and then find uh your website blog anything like that so at the moment all i have is instagram and facebook which is kind of kind of lame but you know that's just like something that i uh plan on getting fixed very soon but i have like a page on an artist page on facebook and on instagram and it's just my name my full name cool and you guys will find that in the show notes um and again go to daddyunscripted.com go to this episode because i will be doing what i normally do including a lot of text but also obviously clearly and how could i not include photos of Rebecca's with her permission, of course, and I'm not putting you on the spot. We'll talk about that afterwards, but putting some not just floating Apple photos up there so you guys can see some of her work. So we'll direct you guys there from the website. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Until the next time that we talk, um, just the most giant ellipses in the sky. If you guys look up and you see three stars kind of in a line, that's our ellipses to our next episode. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Tim, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay, you guys. And that concludes our conversation. It was, it was a little bit of an awkward ending. I'm not going to lie. I felt like there was this pregnant pause and we were just both kind of seeing where this was going to go. And it had already been, about three hours that we had talked and I just had to say, let's button this up here. There's so much more that should be and could be and could have been, should have been, would have been needs to be said. And let's just like you heard me say, let's put those ellipses out there and make that happen. And I think it definitely is going to happen barring like, Barring Rebecca deciding to do just her own podcast and not come back on this one or something, I really think it's going to happen. So I hope that it does. Aside from that, I hope you guys enjoyed these two conversations. I hope you got the inspiration that I got. Not only some insight into an amazing woman, into an amazing artist, into a great mom, into a very good friend, but also some inspiration on perseverance, some inspiration on strength, and some inspiration on, look, you may not be in something that needs such a drastic reboot to take place or reset or whatever it may be, but you may have some things that you've been allowing your fear or allowing your doubts to keep you from. And God, that alone, the message from her in this was huge to me. And like, just yelling in my ear as we were talking of you've got some of this. So I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Reach out to Rebecca, let her know you can find her on her Instagram, on her Facebook. I will put links to everything everywhere. Go to my website. That's probably the easiest way because unless you look at her name here on the podcast, whatever platform you're listening to this on, you can cut and paste her name and put that in a search and find her. But otherwise, you can go to daddyunscripted.com, find this show because it's going to have photos and all kinds of cool little visuals in there as well. But then go find her, connect with her on Instagram, connect with her on Facebook, let her know what you thought of our conversation. And then you can also let me know 
You can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm Daddy Unscripted on both. I'm also on Facebook. I'm really not on there as much, but you can message me through the other two platforms. I will absolutely get back to you and talk with you happily and am looking forward to some of your feedback on the whole idea of this conversation and on this new series that I'm so excited about called Who Tells Your Story, where we're opening it up to more than just dads to be able to inspire us the way that Rebecca has with this conversation. So all thanks to Rebecca again. I Every time the R gets rolled less and less, I'm so sorry. At least I'm sure you guys are probably noticing the lack of me saying her last name. Anyways, so thankful for her time. So thankful for her candor and her openness with this conversation. These things are really important. And after we stopped recording, we were talking about that a little bit. And she was again reiterating how much she hopes that these kinds of things do resonate with people and does help them because people are going through different things in their lives. And I think that that can be a little nudge and reminder that we all have something going on that may be to a crazy extreme or may just seem like it's a lot for us and let this be that encouragement to you. I know I talk a lot about human kindness and about love and about spreading love to others and all of that. Encouragement is one of those easy ways to love another person. It really is. So let's think about that moving forward in the next hours, day, the next couple of weeks. If there's somebody you know that needs some encouragement, send them a message, reach out to them, send them a text. And, you know, you don't have to give them just a cliched, just do it, or you can do it, or you got this or whatever, even though that can be very helpful. You can tell them like, I believe that you can make it through this and I'm here for you. If you need a sounding board, if you need somebody to practice some kind of conversation that is difficult that you need to have with somebody else, I'm here for you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to even say anything if you don't want me to. I can be here to listen to you. Listening is so important, you guys. And so much thanks to you guys for listening to this episode. Let me know what your thoughts are. I do appreciate you guys reaching out to me so much. Big thanks again to Umphreys McGee as always, for letting me have their music in the episodes. Umphreeze.com, check them out, see what they've got going on. Umphreeze.com, go to osirismedia.com to find the other podcasts under this amazing network. Be well. Oh, here's here is a little snippet of me trying to get some different ways to say goodbye to all of you in Icelandic from Rebecca. Bless. Bye. <laughs> Gaman að sjá þig, bara hangti næst Okay, and there you have it You guys, keep your eyes out for the next episode I'm, I can't really say which series If it's a Daddy Unscripted If it's a We Are Here Alone Together Or if it's from this new series Who Tells Your Story But the next episode should be out In another couple or few weeks So keep your eye out for that Be well you guys uh, So much love to all of you Farið vel með ykkur That means basically be good to yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Thanks again for listening.